Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Oh, it does work. I feel a bit like Jack Bauer up here. Um, good evening, everyone. My name is Ian. Welcome to St Saviour's. I've been a member of this amazing church for the last 10 years. It has hosted a number of special moments in my life, which include getting married to my beautiful wife, Jo. I'm done. <laughs> no. um, getting baptised with my beautiful wife, Jo. Not both at the same time in the same baptism pool, as that would get a bit messy, but on the same day. We have two children, my son Charlie, who is five, and my daughter Molly, who is three. Um, and they were both dedicated in this very building when they were babies, which was amazing. Okay, so that's my very brief introduction for those who don't know me. But for those of you who do know me, it's just a brief reminder for you. Um, as some of you may know, we've been doing the Bible in the Year since October last year, following the Read Scripture app. And this week at the 6th, I've got the job of preaching on the Book of Esther. And a scripture I felt God wanted me to share with you all today is Esther 4.14. And who knows, but that you have come to your raw position for such a time as this. Okay, so before we dive into this brief explanation of what the Book of Esther is all about, the main message I would like to get across for you today is whatever you are going through in life, God wants to use you for his purposes. And the three points I'd like you to take away, if you can, is number one, life is hard. Number two, God has a plan. And number three, God wants to use you. Okay, so in a nutshell, what is the book of Esther all about? Did you know that Esther is the only book in the Bible where God isn't mentioned at all? Just because he's not mentioned specifically, it doesn't mean he is not at work behind the scenes. Like in our own lives, whether we believe in God or not, God believes in you, and he is always at work trying to reveal himself to us and then to use us for his purposes and his kingdom. So the book of Esther has four main characters, good old name, Mordecai, who is a Jew, and his niece Esther, who is also a Jew. The king of Persia and his chief official Haman, who is the villain of this story. At the beginning of this story, the king of Persia is married to Queen Vashti. The king is a bit of a show-off and throws a few banquets here and there. At one of these banquets, he has a few too many drinks and requests that Queen Vashti come down to show off her beauty. She didn't do as the king wanted, so he stopped her from being queen and then threw her yet another banquet. But this time, it was more of a beauty pageant to find himself a new queen. And this is where Esther enters the story. So as we, um, earlier, she, uh, no, sorry. as we know from earlier, she is a Jew. Persians and Jews didn't really get on well back then. So good old Uncle Mordecai tells her to enter a beauty pageant whilst concealing her Jewish identity. And what happens? She only goes and wins. The king then becomes so obsessed with her, he makes her his new queen, still not knowing of her Jewish identity. Soon after Esther gets made queen, her uncle Mordecai just so happens to overhear two of the king's guards plotting to kill the king. He then tells his niece, Queen Esther, to tell the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. We then turn to Haman, the bad guy. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom and orders everyone to bow down and worship him. But who do you think refuses to bow down to Haman? Any ideas? (laughs) No, Mordecai, what legends! This, of course, makes Haman mad, and this next part shows you why he is the bad guy in this story. He not only gets mad because Mordecai doesn't bow down to him, 
He then finds out that Mordecai is a Jew and then, then wants all of the Jews killed as a result. So Haman boldly goes to the king to agree this barbaric decree of killing all of the Jews. Mordecai finds out about Haman's evil plan to kill all of the Jews and shares this with his niece, Queen Esther. And they both come up with a plan to save the Jews. This is where it comes to this piece of scripture I mentioned earlier. Esther 4.14 And who knows, but that you have come to your opposition for such a time as this. So Queen Esther, she gets into action. She holds a first banquet with the king and Haman and says she wants to make a special request to both of them at an exclusive banquet the following day. After this, Haman leaves and sees Mordecai outside. He gets so angry that he orders a stake to be built to impale Mordecai on it the following morning. What a nice man. Um, that night, the king suddenly remembers how Mordecai saved his life, and the next day, the king orders Haman to honour Mordecai and parade him around on horseback publicly so that everyone can honour Mordecai for saving the king's life. Then a double blow for Haman as Queen Esther hosts the second banquet. She not only reveals to the king that she is a Jew, but that Haman had enacted a decree to kill all of the Jews, which was, of course, include Esther and Mordecai themselves. When the king finds out, he orders Haman to be killed and on the same state that Haman made to kill Mordecai. With permission from the king, Mordecai gets elevated to Haman's position, or chief official, and orders a counter decree to stop all the Jews from being killed. From this story, we can clearly see God at work behind the scenes to have his Jewish people saved. Not only did he plan Queen Esther's position to help save the Jews and from the evil plans Haman had against Mordecai, Esther and the Jews, they were reversed for God's good purposes for his people through Mordecai's rise to the chief official alongside his niece, Queen Esther. So in summary for the story of Esther and adapting my theme for today to Esther's life, it would go something like this. Whatever is going on in Esther's life at the time, God wanted to use her for his purposes, which ultimately led to her life, Mordecai's life, and the Jews' life from being saved. So, adapting this, number one, life was hard. Number two, God did have a plan. And number three, God did use her. Can't drink water, please, for my next bit. <laughs> That's only halfway. Sorry. Thanks. Okay. <clears throat> Got desert mouth. Persian desert mouth. Um, okay, I'd like to explain how this theme has applied to my life and some of the things that I've been through in the hope that you can relate to these points even more. For me personally, I can relate to all these points that I'm sure all of you can do at different times in your life. As I introduced myself earlier, I shared with you some amazing times in my life. But with life, sometimes it can be incredibly tough at times. Each one of you sitting here today are going through a battle of your own right now, whether it's physically, mentally, or spiritually. That's because we are a spirit being who possesses a soul and lives in a physical body. You might be wondering, where is God in all of this? Or if God even exists at all? I've had my fair share of hard times in my life that I've been through. They were really dark times for me, but I can say with confidence that despite that, I knew Jesus was right there with me and never left my side. He said in his word, I will never leave you, I will nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, verses 5 to 6. I would like to share with you three different times in my life that I hope you can relate to in one way or another. 
First to some of you who know me, back in July 2012, I was running a men's outdoor five-side football tournament every week to raise money for the men's ministry for this church. The outdoor surface of the pitch was slippery when wet, and I was running towards the opposing end of the pitch to try and score one more goal, when both my feet suddenly slipped from underneath me. I fell heavily on my lower back, and then in turn, I banged my neck on the ground. I was paralysed from the neck down, staring into the night sky, wondering what was going to happen with my life. But despite that, I felt God's peace completely surround me. So I slipped a disc in my neck between C3 and C4. I had the disc removed and the vertebrae fused together. In the nine weeks in total of me being in the hospital, not being able to move from the neck down, I learned to, do, I learned to physically do everything again and walk out of hospital. My wife and I didn't know if we were able to have children because of the nerve damage to my spinal cord. All I can say is that I saw with my very own eyes in a doctor's microscope that there was no sperm at all. And when I went back a few weeks later after prayer, I saw that there were thousands of sperm. Amen. <clears throat> so we now have two beautiful children. Um, yes. <laughs> simply amazing. My son Charlie, who's five, and daughter Molly, who is three, and they are. They're so special. Um, I'd like to quickly take this opportunity to thank God and for everyone who prayed for us to have children and my healing, as God does answer prayer, I promise you. The people I met along the way have been amazing. Even though it was potentially a life-changing situation, I still managed to talk to so many people about Jesus. Even a well-known football hooligan who wanted to turn his life around, and God was using me to minister to him and show him love despite his past. As some of my close family and friends know, even though I've made a miraculous recovery, I'm still only 90% healed and I still struggle on a daily basis with um, physical discomforts and limitations, which God helps me through every single day. But despite this, he still wants to use me for his purposes. And I get great comfort from these scriptures as well as others in the Bible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Romans 8.28, I can work, all things work together for the good of those who love God according to his plan. The second thing I've struggled with um, is suffering from severe depression on and off at times. For the last 20 years of my life, since the age of 15, even since becoming a Christian 10 years ago, this battle still continues at times, but I know God is by my side, still working, refining in and through me for his purposes. It isn't easy to stand up and say, I suffer from depression, but I know God can use my struggles and experiences to help other people. The enemy wants to keep these things hidden in the darkness, but God wants to shine his light on these areas of our lives that are in the darkness. He not only wants to use you in these times, he also wants to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. After all, he's called the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness. The final thing I wanted to say and to share is that recently my nan passed away on my daughter's third birthday this year. She had been suffering from severe Alzheimer's disease for a good 15 to 20 years, and this year um, she was bedridden, not able to talk or know who anybody was. But despite her passing, I felt a peace and a joy and that she had gone to be with the Lord in heaven, well and pain-free after finding out she gave her life to Jesus at a Sunday service some years ago at the very same care home she later passed away in, being reunited with my granddad Charlie, who my son is named after, and her son Ian, who I was named after, 
who passed away from cancer when he was only 18. What hope we have in the Lord. So despite these three times, I chose to share with you all today. God has got me stand up here in front of you all to preach my first ever sermon. <laughs> um, if you would have asked me last year what the one area I wouldn't want to serve God in, it'd be preaching. <laughs> um, but God clearly had other plans for me. He gave me dreams and visions of me preaching. A prophecy spoken over me eight years ago at the first church weekend away with St. Saviour's by Mark Russell, who is the chief executive of a Christian charity called the Church Army, which only becomes clear to me now. After pushing these signs away, I asked God specifically in prayer to reveal to me if it is his will for me to preach. I opened up my Bible to the next chapter that I was reading at the time in Jeremiah, and the only word that was on the whole two pages written in italic was preaching. <laughs> Slightly new, I don't know. Um, I know it wasn't a holy moment or a holy response, but I think I swore out loud at that point, <laughs> followed by a quick apology after I saw that, and honestly, I, I couldn't believe it, um, really. Um, 20 years ago at school, when I was 15, we had to start doing presentations, and I was so anxious about doing it, I had to have counselling in order to get me up and do presentations to my class. After becoming a Christian 10 years ago and being a member of this amazing church for the last 10 years, I never knew how I was meant to serve God in his church, but hopefully this is one of the ways, as well as in a couple of other areas too. It's taken me 10 years to step, uh, take this step of faith to serve him despite being way out of my comfort zone. All the pieces of the puzzle are finally starting to fall into place for me at church now. Hopefully, um, I know that you can see from my life the similarities in your own lives that time with these three points for the third and final time, I promise. Unless we want to do this as little tests. So number one, life can be hard. Number two, God does have a plan. Number three, he wants to use you. Nothing is wasted. God wants to turn your mess into your message. So in closing, how do we apply this to our lives? I believe like I shared with you all today, to share our struggles with God and with others and to pray for one another because God does answer prayer. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Set your mind on things above, Colossians 3, 2. The only way I believe this is possible is through God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. We have just celebrated Easter, which is when Jesus came to earth as man, fully God and fully man, to die a horrific death on the cross that he didn't deserve for us, every single one of us, for our sins. For all the things we have done, still do, and we will continue to do wrong in our lives until the day we die, despite our very best efforts, so that we can be made right with God and spend all eternity with him, instead of being eternally separated from him. But three days later, he rose again to life and ascended to heaven to be at the right hand of God the Father. And if we put our trust in his son Jesus, we will also have the assurance to be raised to life after we die, to be with him and our loved ones forever. We were never meant to be apart from God. This world, our lives, were never meant to be so broken and full of heartache. Death wasn't part of the plan either. God wants us to come back to him and the only way is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. We accept him by grace through faith and not by works. We can't earn God's love by doing good works, but by accepting his grace and for what he has done for us on the cross which shows God's great love for us so clearly. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And this is what I think is really important. Grace means unearned, unmerited favour. You can't earn God's love. We can just receive it as a free gift to us from him with our own free will that he has given us by the God who actually created us. The last piece of scripture, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This life is just the beginning. It's all about Jesus. Is he knocking at the door of your heart to know him and serve him? Will you let him in? For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website, www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.